Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership Podcast, where we share stories from amazing leaders just like you and me. We break down myths of leadership, imposter syndrome, and we ask what brave feminine leadership means and does it need to change? All of these interviews were originally recorded in video format. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Brave Feminine Leadership for news on when new video series will be dropping. It's wonderful to meet you. Drop me a note if the content resonates. Melissa at bravefeminineleadership.com. Let's get brave. Welcome to our interview series on Brave Feminine Leadership. I am thrilled to introduce Karen Beatty to you today. Karen, welcome to the conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Melissa. Pleasure. Karen, I'm going to jump straight into a little bit of your bio so people know a bit about you and then we'll, we'll get going with the conversation. So for our audience, Karen Beatty is the Founder and Director of Strategy at the Growth Faculty. In 2003, from a small Sydney office, she set about achieving her ambitious mission to give business leaders access to the world's best strategic thinkers and high achievers. Um, Karen, let me say you've succeeded in that beyond uh, all measure. The Growth Faculty is now a leading provider of world-class education for executives and leadership teams and produces bespoke experiences like the annual Good to Great Study Tour with Jim Collins, high-profile speakers, including uh, Hillary Clinton, TED Talk sensation Simon Sinek and Brene Brown, uh, Tim Ferriss, Patrick Lencioni, the list goes on, and now President Barack Obama and Michelle Obama. So uh, congratulations on that. I know since March 2020, your member base has grown exponentially and you're now offering um, weekly sort of virtual masterclasses and the like. So Congratulations, I've attended some of your events and they really are fabulous. Thank you very much. Yes, that was quite an event, March 2020 for us. <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's talk all about that and more. So sure. before we get there, Karen, I would love to understand, um, help the audience understand a bit more about you, your story. And if I kick off with the sort of question of what's, you know, why are you who you are? Sure. Um, I, I think uh, my childhood has uh, definitely had a major influence on who I am. I was born, I'll start from the beginning. I was born in Trinidad um, in the one, the most southern Caribbean island, just off the coast of Venezuela. Uh, both my parents were born there and three out of four of my grandparents were born there. My grandmother is Venezuelan. Um, so, you know, um, my father worked um, at the time, you know, I was born, my father was worked for a company called Dallas Lumberger, which was an international um, directional drilling company. And um, his first posting uh, was Libya. So um, we left Trinidad when I was all of three and we moved to Libya as a family of four. It was just after Gaddafi got in. Uh, and then we spent a couple of, after spending a couple of years there, we moved to Libya um, and we were there during the, um, no, sorry. What did I say? So Libya, then Nigeria. Nigeria, yeah. Uh, and then we then we moved to uh, Jakarta. My two youngest brothers were born in Singapore. Um, and then I spent most of my primary school years in Abu Dhabi and Dubai in the, in the Middle East, in the United Arab Emirates. Um, and after spending um, six and seven years there, we were then transferred to Perth in Western Australia. So, I mean, during that time, obviously, you know, you know, the expat life, we traveled quite extensively. Um, Trinidad was home all that time. You know, we used to travel back to Trinidad every two years to visit family. Um, and every other, every other year, my father used to take us traveling, you know, to England or the US or Spain. And um, so we really got to experience um, 
you know, we really had a global life. And uh, so, you know, and I enjoyed the change, you know, it was very spontaneous. Um, we couldn't plan anything ahead. And sometimes he would come home and say, right, we're moving country, we're going, you know, we're, we're moving. And I never felt threatened by it. I actually quite um, like liked the thought of moving. And, you know, I thought, oh, great change, new school, new friends. Um, and so when I arrived in Perth, it was, I was about a month before my 13th birthday. So it was year eight. Um, I have to say it was a bit of a culture shock, to be honest, because I thought the life that I had lived up until that time was normal. I thought everyone did that. Um, and so arriving and, you know, you know, it was a culture shock on a couple of levels. A, um, you know, because I experienced both the British system and the American system. The American school system was the, the last I, I had um, experienced before coming to Perth. So I've moved from the American school system to the Australian system, mm -hmm. you know, a co-ed school to, you know, an all girls Catholic school. And when you talk about diversity in the classroom, you know, my classmates in, in, in those places were, you know, I mean, 34 different com you know, countries, you know, in your year alone. Um, and that was natural. And then, you know, I arrived in Perth and I was the odd one out, you know, and um, I had to explain myself a lot. So here's this Trinidadian with an American accent um, who's lived, never lived in the States, who grew up in the Middle East and, and um, in Africa. Um, and I guess their only reference to um, people from the West Indies was the West Indian cricket team, and I looked nothing like them. So wow. you know, it was kind of it was kind of interesting back, and, and especially in sort of early '80s, you know. So um, yeah, so you know, I did high school there. Um, I guess maths was my strength. I, I taught maths every year during school. I went to the University of Western Australia, um, and again, I started with a maths and science degree, um, and then I ended up. With a mishmash of some degree I, i'm not even too sure i wasn't too sure what i wanted to do to be honest and um i think after after i left university i worked for a year and then i took off back to london and um, I, I used london as base so through my 20s i based myself in london and the, my whole purpose was just to experience life you know I, I knew i was gonna end up back in australia but i just felt that i wanted to be in the center of the world and um where were your parents then so they were, they were in perth we ended up staying so my father actually when we were transferred to perth after three years he was due to get another transfer and so what he did was um he gave up his career 20 year 20 years at this company to start his own business so that we could stay in australia because he okay. saw a world of opportunity for us there and didn't want to have to pick us up and take us somewhere else again. And I think we were getting to the age where the only option was boarding school as well. And um, so he really, but you also, you know, coming to Australia, you know, it was just a, some wonderful opportunities for us. Okay. So, so um, Perth, Perth so, then became home, but you were over in London, living life, trying to work out where to from there. Where to from there, absolutely. And I used it as a base. I traveled all over the world, you know, popped back to Trinidad to see my grandparents you know, um, pop across to New York for the weekends, everything London has to offer, right? So I went to every theater, every sporting event, you know, across to the continent, you know, island hopping up the Caribbean to the US. So, um, and then I guess I, you know, I started, it opened up wonderful, you know, opportunities and I started my career there. Well, I started my event career there. Um, the opportunity to work um, with a company that was hosting Anthony Robbins at the time. It's the first time Anthony Robbins was coming to UK. Okay. So it was a very, very small business. I went to help a friend and uh, so um, that was a baptism by fire. And so I was there for a couple of years uh, and then I decided to come back to Australia and uh, I moved to Sydney sight unseen. Um, I just felt that that was probably best for me after, um, after all that I'd experienced. Um, and, you know, I, I was only back about three or four months when my father got diagnosed with cancer mm -hmm. and um, it was quite significant. Um, he was diagnosed in November, he passed away in December just 
before Christmas. It was very, very quick. So, um, yeah. And I guess, you know, for me, that was, you know, it just changed everything for me at that point. And um, I I had the opportunity to spend the last month of his life with him, you know, because I just gave up my job and I I went to spend time with him. And um, yeah, and then I I returned to Sydney after spending, you know, I stayed in Perth for nine months after to spend time with my mother. And then I came back to Sydney. And, you know, so I've been in Sydney ever since for the last 20 years. And, um, you know, it was in my early 30s that I then started, moved from a career and a job to starting my business. So, you know, you can define my life by decades, you know, so... (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> it's nice to get to the point of wisdom where we can do that, isn't it? Yes, so, absolutely. <laughs> um, I know you said um, when you and I first connected, you talked about the fact that your father um, was really important um, in terms of you growing up and your own kind of beliefs about what you could achieve. Mm. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, from his humble beginnings in Trinidad, you know, he had this, you know, grand plan and, um, you know, neither my mother nor him had left Trinidad when, in their early 20s. So, you know, my father turned to my mother on their honeymoon. My mother was all of 20 and he was 24 and said, you know, stick with me and I'm going to show you the world. And um, my mother's like, okay. Um, <laughs> and, and sure enough, that's what he did, you know, and I think, you know, his sense of adventure, his boldness, I mean, you know, the fact that he worked his way up through this company and, you know, and, you know, he just, you know, everything was about family and giving us wonderful opportunities. So, you know, um, his work ethic, you know, his integrity, you know, all that. And I, and I think him introducing me, you know, three younger brothers, gender was never an issue. The fact that I was the oldest, you know, um, daughter, you know, um, never played a role for him. So, um, you know, he just felt that I needed to be independent as well. And so he sort of crafted or, you know, miraculously kind of um, nurtured that independence, you know, without too much um, show or drama. Um, so, and, and that's what I can see now that I reflect back on, you know, my time with him. So, yeah. So you're in London, um, just if we pause there briefly, because I think it's important to the um, next steps in terms of your kind of career journey. And um, so you've launched um, Tony Robbins' career in the UK um, mm-hmm. through helping a friend. Um, how did that go about? Because that was pretty crazy. I understand what you were doing then. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my my friend was um, in the world of I think network marketing, so he was dealing with speakers at that level, and um, he he won the right to bring Anthony Robbins to to the UK, and um, he really you know didn't have much experience, <laughs> and so um, you know he started rounding up the troops to to help him do that, and I was I think I was employee number three. Um, and uh, I put a computer on my desk and said, right, okay, let's uh, create a registration system, you know, and then once we've done that, we sort of, I sort of created the systems as, as we went along, you know, in every aspect of the business. So, you know, we had 50 marketing partners, then moved to, you know, we had the event at the Wembley Conference Center, the ICC, Alexandra Palace. So they, I mean, he was expecting 9,000 people and that was his first venture. So, you know, it was, it was quite, you know, it was intense you know, we just did what we needed to do. And um, everyone was under 30, like, and the energy in that office was was amazing. It was an extraordinary experience. And, you know, to be dealing with someone like Anthony Robbins as well, you know, it was just, you know, it was about perfectionism and delivery, right? And yeah. so, and um, so, you know, it was of the highest standard that we had to deliver on as well. So it was extraordinary time. And we then did um, Date with Destiny down in Cannes. So we did his four-day program in, in, in Cannes in France. So, and that was a whole other experience as well. Wow. So, so yeah. you've then, you're in Sydney, 
your what was your first job when you got there? Uh, the Institute of Chartered Accountants. So, um, so Tony Tony Robbins to the Institute of Chartered Accountants. That's correct. Yep. Uh, very different, but you'll be surprised how that kind of ties in quite nicely. <laughs> um, I guess at the the Institute of Chartered Accountants was a fabulous place to start. I've been away for ten years. You know, finding out who's who in the corporate world, you know, et cetera. And I guess I really learned the art of pulling programs together, you know, and relying on subject matter experts in, in order to do that, right? So we had to create programs for their members um, that would help with their CPE hours. And um, the idea was to you know, get them along. So, um, you know, it was, it was fantastic, a whole new skill set for me. Um, mm -hmm. And that is a skill set that, you know, I've been able to use throughout my entire career as a result of that. So yeah, it was awesome. And the financial, was it the GFC came along or no, 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 GST. GST, we're going back a few years now. <laughs> GST, so GST arrived. GST arrived. So um, I, I worked at the Institute for a couple of years and then I decided that I wanted to start my own business. And um, so I, I left them in, a Decem in December and I remember my boss telling me, well, it's December, January is very quiet. Do you really think this is a good move? Um, but I was really determined to go and, you know, um, you know, I spent the first four months looking for business um, and I really wanted to um, organize conferences for, for people. So fee for management service. And um, so at that time, my previous boss moved to the Australian Institute of Management and that they were, and they ended up being my first client. So they had an international speakers program. Interestingly, they were bringing Edward de Bono out, you know, a few others, right? Harvard business professors. So um, I got contracted in to help out with that, which was fantastic. And interestingly, the Institute of Chartered Accountants were going through a big change in their CPE department. So they ended up outsourcing some of their conferences to me as well, because they hadn't, they, at that time, they were a bit light on on staff. So two wonderful, you know, luck events, I guess, for me, um, from a timing perspective. And then towards the end of the year, NYIB went to the Institute of Chartered Accounts and said, listen, can you organize our GST seminars? You know, a lot of our clients are, you know, unsure of what's going on. We need to educate them. And they said, listen, we don't do that, um, but we would recommend, you know, Karen, why don't you ask her? So, um, so I landed the NYIB GST seminar series. And um, at the time I had one employee, and it was quite extraordinary. We, um, you know, I think during that time, they re we registered about 40,000 business owners over eight months, and 145 seminars nationally. So, um, you know, my, my team grew from two to 15 very swiftly. It was yeah. before online registration. So all our registrations received by fax, you know, all the, you know, inquiries by phone. So we were on the receiving end of, you know, everyone's frustrations, you know, everyone's fears. And, you know, we, we you know, um, and a lot of, you know, obviously small business owners were doing it tough and were unsure about this whole transition. So it was a really interesting time for us. How did you pivot from that then to bringing out an international, well, who was, who was the, the first kind of speaker in the birth of the growth faculty as it exists today? Um, the first speaker was actually Michael Gerber, and um, that came about because of my experience with NYIB, you know, as I mentioned to you earlier, was that, um, you know, hearing all these business owners and getting such an amazing response to the um, seminar series that NYIB put on, and at, and at the time, NYIB wasn't too sure that they would get a bigger response, it's like, you know, but, you know, they came in droves, and we just had to keep just moving, and, you know, it was meant to be a four-week program, it ended up being an eight-month program, right, so it just surprised everybody. 
Um, and on the back of that, I thought, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. I, I wonder if, you know, outside of GST, do these small business owners need access to other content to help them with their business, you know, to help alleviate these frustrations, you know, from a leadership strategy, hiring people. Um, and I guess also, you know, um, in addition to that, with my experience with Australian Institute of Management running their international speakers program as well, you know, a lot of those programs were day, day long, you know, they were, you know, 800 to $1,000 a day. So, you know, small businesses couldn't afford getting access to those international speakers. And I just thought, what if we, you know, put together an event series that was half day, like, like the GST seminars, they were half day, they were $145, you know, it was accessible and it was about, you know, and it was reasonable as far as pricing was concerned. And I had come across Michael Gerber, you know, um, through my previous, you know, international speakers programs that I dealt with other, you know, clients. And so I thought, well, he'd be he'd be the perfect person to bring out because you know he's the small business he's a small business speaker for small business right so um i um i reached out to him and um i invited him to come out um and i thought well we'll do three cities and i i thought well i've, I've had all this experience in promoting in promoting speakers and bring them out and but i must say it's a very different experience when you actually um you're backing it it's your money it's your risk and you go from thinking about, you know, oh, are the names right on the name badges to are the plants right on the stage to have we got enough seats in the auditorium to when's the next registration coming in? When's the next registration? So the shift, you know, in focus and what you what you're focusing on is it's all about cash flow and and the response to the event, right? And so then logistics comes about five or ten percent of what you end up focusing on. So it was a really interesting transition. Yeah. And um, I think it was this conference that you shared with me, you had a dream slash nightmare um, about the event um, that so many people will relate to. Will you share that with us? Sure. Um, it was, we launched Michael in, in, in about, I think it was May, 2003, and we hosted him in November, 2003. So it was a six month period, um, you know, marketing period. And um, I didn't really sleep very much. <laughs> through those six months. And uh, when I did sleep, I did have this, you know, reoccurring dream or nightmare, as you call it, um, is that I was the only one sitting in the auditorium in the front row, in the middle seat, in the front row. And my friends were going, wow, that was a great idea. Michael Gerber, Karen, everyone wants to see him. Um, and so, you know, uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting. But, you know, you get up in the morning, you push through. And I think that sort of it fueled the activity and the actions every day is what do I need to do today? What do I need to do today to, you know, and at the end of the day, it's a numbers games. Like how many people do you need to reach? You know, where are, where are the small businesses? Um, how do I get access to them? And cause I started with no database, you know, no connections. And it was from, you know, a blank sheet of paper. And um, I think um, maybe ignorance was a little bliss at that time. And uh, if I know what I know now, <laughs> but I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was awesome. Well, and we ended up having two and a half thousand people across three cities, you know, so it was one of my most successful events, actually. So amazing. So far from just you in the audience. And I guess, you know, on the upside, if it had just been you, pricey, but probably, <laughs> still, probably still valuable. Very valuable for me. I, uh, I probably wouldn't be sitting here right now, but uh... <laughs> no, the growth faculty may not look uh, the way that it looks today. So You've been really, you know, really successful. Um, do you still have moments of doubt? Do you still, you know, there's things, things that still make you feel vulnerable? Yes, of course. Yes. I, and I think um, as long as you keep stretching yourself, you know, and um, stepping out of your comfort zone, 
Um, absolutely. And I think the growth of my business has been a series of stretches, you know, so, you know, Michael Gerber was the first stretch and then, you know, I can look back and see the arc, arc of stretches, you know, in order to grow the business, right? So you could do Michael Gerber and you can stay there and, and happily move along, you know, and a lot of businesses, you know, do that, which is absolutely fine. Um, but, you know, the stretch, you know, every few years, you build up your experience um, and you try new things and you go for bigger speakers. And that happens slowly and surely over the years. And I think every time you take that next leap of faith, um, you, you certainly do have, you know, um, elements of doubt and um, they do come in the early hours of the morning. But when you do wake up, you know, it's like, right, I, I can make a difference. I can do something about this and I can take action. And so, you know, that, that's really the time, you know, because um, I think what kills it is, is action and the right action and asking yourself the right questions on, on, on what you need to do to, to make it successful. Um, and I think in the event industry too, once you say go, you've got to commit and go because mm -hmm. you've, you have promised a speaker an audience, you've promised an audience a speaker. And when you're sitting in the middle connecting those two, you feel a massive amount of responsibility. And so when you commit and you go, so there's no looking back. Um, and fortunately, you know, over my, over my time, I haven't really canceled, I've had to cancel one event. It was in, very much in the early days, but you know, I make that happen. And if you stop to think about it too much, <laughs> you will start to panic, right? And, um, but yeah, you just, it has to happen. Do you, um, do you reach out to speakers personally? Yes, I do. Yeah, so it's you yeah. who do. And, and um, is that, um, I can imagine that is often nerve wracking doing that. Are there any that stick in your mind that you felt nervous about approaching? Um, yes, I think in, um, I've got a story, like with Jim Collins, I, it took me 10 years to get Jim Collins. Um, yeah, so, you know, when I first started business, someone asked me, like, there's any speaker you would like to bring out, who would that be? And I said, Jim Collins. I read Built to Last at the very beginning of my career. I don't even know how I read Built to Last. And I don't even know why it resonated with me. For some reason it resonated me, with me. And I, I've always had a sense of wanting to help business owners, right? Um, I want to help people and give them out. You know, it's all about accessibility and availability. So, um, you know, I would reach out. And I, I guess your, your confidence sort of... Um, builds over time but I remember one of my one of my um bosses in the early days at the institute was actually quite surprised about how brazen I was in approaching speakers <laughs> I just didn't think I didn't think twice about it it's like uh, yeah you know it's what I love to do and for me it's the thrill of the chase a little bit mm. it's a bit and, and and Jim was that for me I it was kind of like it became my it became a little bit of an, a professional obsession um and I think more so because I knew he doesn't travel, I knew he didn't travel overseas often. I knew, you know, he wasn't very accessible. And I thought, well, can you imagine I made this happen for people? Because I know he's got a lot of fans here in Australia. Absolutely. You know, let me see if I can make this happen because I know a lot of people would turn up and appreciate that. Yeah. And so, yeah, that literally took 10 years, every year, reaching out letters, letters, you know, emails. And, um, you know, it's really about finding out what their you know what their strengths are and what really resonates with them like every speaker wants to have impact right every speaker wants an audience and the reason they want the audience is to have impact so if you can demonstrate that impact and if you can demonstrate that multiplier you know effect and if you can demonstrate that 
they, they are they are handing their brand to you to manage, right? So if you can um, engender that trust to say, hey, I will look after your brand and I will represent your brand, mm. you know, um, as you would yourself, um, then, you know, as soon as you can um, convince them of that, and it's easy to convince them once you have a track record. So it's a lot easier now, but in the first days, you know, um, it was a bit challenging. So um, how did you celebrate when you got uh, Jim Collins? I'll never forget that morning. Um, I got the call at eight o'clock, 8 a.m., 8.30. Um, and I was on my way to work and my office was in Manly at that time. And would you believe I stood outside the bottle shop, which opened at nine o'clock. <laughs> I bought a bottle of Bollinger and I walked into the office with the team and I said, here we go. And oh. it was... Uh, extraordinary experience it was an extraordinary I've got shivers thinking about that because um 10 years is a long time mm. it's a long time to be you know and to have that as you know you're obviously building incredibly on the way through but to, yeah. to have that come through is um is incredible and um I've had the pleasure um, when I was a CEO of bringing a number of my, um, over successive years, a number of my leadership teams along to your events and have seen some extraordinary speakers there. So they really are uh, incredible. And I would have gone on the Jim Collins event um, all, all for timing, never got there, but I'm a huge fan. So I can totally understand how that would have, um, would have felt for you. So um, have there been other sort of core guideposts for you as you've built the business? Like, have you always had kind of good clarity about what it's going to look like or, you know, what, how would you respond to that? I think the, I never started out going, hey, I want to build an empire. I never knew where it was going to go. I, I All I said was just want to be able to respond to this question of how can I give, you know, um, business owners in Australia access to these thought leaders, right? You know, big end of town, the corporates, they would fly these speakers in, pay the big fees, they can afford it. Um, how can I do that? And, you know, um, and offer that in a, in a public environment where, you know, they're paying $600 for the day or, you know, whatever that is, or bring their team, book a table. So that's always been my guiding press. And it still is, right? It's like, just make it ubiquitous um, and accessible. Um, a lot of CEOs also, you know, get on a plane and go overseas, you know, obviously pre-March 2020 to access these speakers. So it wasn't necessarily about the CEOs, it's really more about the CEOs bringing their teams, right? So once you bring your team, right, you can really start moving the needle within the organization. And, and, and CEOs would say, hey, listen, you know, this person, you know, was my guiding, you know, you know, my guiding light for building my business, right? So whether it's, you know, Patrick Lencioni on leadership or, you know, Liz Wiseman on multipliers, Jim Collins, you know, um, Marcus Buckingham, Simon Sinek, right? Most of it's like, I want to bring my team to see this firsthand. Mm. So that hasn't changed and the business has evolved naturally. I, you know, it's just, um, you know, the, the opportunities keep coming and, um, and I keep wanting to stretch. I didn't start out going, this is where I want to be. It was really, I was really more focused on just making it happen. And we just, I just started small and, you know, nothing's more fulfilling than, you know, at the end of an event, people coming up and saying, thank you for creating this opportunity. You know, um, I, I really feel that we're making a difference. And um, so that's what's kept me going really. And you're really very behind the scenes, aren't you? You're, you know, the growth faculty is all about the speakers all, all, and all about the audience. 
yeah, it is very much so. You know, we provide a platform for the speakers and we give audience access to those speakers. And uh, that's what it's about. We're just the conduit in between. And, you know, that's what's most important. So March 2020 um, maybe presented some challenges for a business like yours that flies speakers in? Oh, just a little. 98% <laughs> of your revenue comes from live in-person events, absolutely. And we were two weeks out from delivering Simon Sinek, actually. So we were due to present Simon Sinek on the 23rd of March. And uh, we Another had... Another you may not forget. No. Uh, and we had to send that email on the 13th of March to let everyone know that... Uh, we had to move it. I mean, obviously everyone's health was, you know, our primary focus, you know, and I, I think at that time, you know, it was extraordinary because I was looking down the barrel of 2020 going, you know, we, we were on this incredible trajectory. Our last event was with the Obamas in Singapore. We had big plans, you know, we had Brene Brown in July. I mean, we were just like, you know, building out the company, you know, we, ha we had an online platform, thank goodness. Um, we had this membership subscription online platform, which um, we were, had an online book club as such. And so very, you know, it was kind of ticking over as we went and um, yeah, stared down the barrel 2020 and went, whoa, what did we do? And it was paralyzing, you know, um, it was paralyzing. And uh, I think, you know, at that time I just had to stop and go, right, you know, and, and I get the, the thinking was, okay, we just have to get through to when we deliver Simon next, right? So we moved Simon to February, 2021. We just have to make it till we deliver that event. And as the weeks went on, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm totally at the mercy of my environment. Totally, I, I cannot survive like that. And so um, I said, we're just going to have to use this, look at this platform and see what we can do to really ramp it up. And I think I, I ended up calling quite a few speakers in my network and just said hey where are you at <laughs> what what should we do what can we do together like you know um and you know that was actually you know a lot of ideas came from that and they're willing to to help out as well so it was a partnership when we first we, we decided to flip to virtual of course that was probably the only way we can go yeah. and um you know they came to the party because you know we couldn't afford huge fees we were testing it they were willing to test with us so it was a true partnership those first you know set of events and I and, and there was a lot of free content I don't know if you remember there was a lot of free content out on that time because everyone's trying to engage with their clients and and so you know I'll never forget doing the happy dance when we got our first paid registration for a you know virtual event and we said let's just stick with our core we deliver the world's best let's do what we normally do let's take it virtual Let's find out what our customers want, what's going to help them through. So let's find out what that is, because the content was very different to what we were delivering before, you know. Um, and so we just stuck to that, you know, helping speakers and, and helping our, our base. And um, we managed to slowly, you know, start you know, experimenting. And when your back's against the wall, it's like, let's see if this works, then you iterate works, you know. And so we've been able to evolve from that standing start because at that moment in March you know you, your revenue came and not only did your revenue I mean your revenue stopped and as soon as your revenue stopped your revenue also started going out because people goes hang on I've got tickets with you so you know there was this flow um and um so we had to yeah we had to do uh something and uh yeah how did you um you know it's Times like that are critical from a leader's perspective. How did you um, how did you manage yourself and awareness of impact 
your impact on the team around you and those sorts of things? Yes, I was very, um, it was very challenging emotionally. Yeah. Um, and I ended up having to stop watching the news at any level. Yeah. I just couldn't, I couldn't bear to hear the negative reports because I had to go in every day with hope. And, you know, when you watch the news or, you know, on your phone or whatever, you know, it's it's like, well, you know, the Prime Minister's coming on saying, oh, well, it's good. We, we, this is going to be till the end of the year. And you do not want to hear that at that stage. It's like, no, like a few months. We're good. We're back. So um, I stopped because I had to go in with hope every day to make sure we can we can do something about this and let's work it out. So that was the main thing for me. And I guess um, with my, I was very fortunate to, my husband at the time um, was um, pseudo involved in the business, but, but he was a primary care of my son. And, um, you know, and so I had his full support at home, right? And I look back on that and I think how fortunate it was because a lot of people had both parents working, you know, homeschooling. And so I had that emotional support and backing from him and that really helped as well. But, you know, I, I it wasn't easy. And I can't say that I, you know, some days you turn up and you shine and other days you turn up and you, you just, you kind of lose it. And, you know, it's, you know, it, it was what it was. And, um, you know, and I'm sure everyone had those moments. Right. And one of the, one of the inspirations for starting this series in the first place was I'm a big Brene Brown fan. And so one of her quotes around the world needing, needing braver leaders um, was was one of the reasons for sort of kicking these conversations off. And I just wonder, um, you know, that time really, really took some brave leadership to, you know, vulnerable leadership. Um, um, really interesting. I just want to um, switch gears for just a minute because you, through what you do, you're exposed to, um, you know, the world's best um, researchers across, you know, and speakers across a whole range of subjects. Um, you, I don't know whether you'd be prepared to answer this or not, but um, are there any favourites in the mix? <laughs> <laughs> I promise no one's, no, one's watching, no one's watching, Karen. I won't send it to, to the others. <laughs> I have a whole raft of favourites for all different reasons, right? Uh, you know, I'm in a very privileged position to be working with all these speakers and, um, you know, they all bring amazing, you know, they're just all so smart and, you know, amazing in their own rights. And, um, you know, I, as far as favourites go, I can, you know, I, a lot of it's got to do with, um, you know, the relationships I have and the partnerships, you know, so I, I have stronger partnerships with others than I do. And, you know, so, um, and I guess it depends where they are in their business. So it's all very, every speaker is so unique in their ways and, you know, their business models um, and what they're trying to achieve. So we just support that as much as we can. And um, sometimes it aligns stunningly. And other times it's just like, hey, it's a one-off and, and that's because that's what suits everybody. And, and it, it's fantastic to get that opportunity, right? So it, there's a whole, you know, um, yeah, there's a whole array of different relationships and uh, they're all fabulous, uh, you know, in, in every aspect, you know. I, I, it's really fortunate because people say, oh, have you had any, you know, challenges with speakers? But really everyone's incredibly professional, right? And, um, you know, when you command that respect, they, they command respect, you know, it works 
quite well. So that will be no, no favourite child. <laughs> no favourite child. <laughs> that's all right. I wanted to try. A short answer to that. Yes. I'm yeah. sorry. Yes, that's okay. <laughs> I kind of figured that was going to be the case. It brings me to the final question that I do ask everybody. And that is from your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership mean? And do you think it needs to change? I think... Um, it's really about standing in your own authenticity. Mm. Um, it's about living your life and, um, and it's about following your dreams. And I think it's also to be bold enough to back yourself, right? And, um, and, and have conscious conversations around stepping into that leadership role. And I think men don't have to do that right? It is, there is assumption that they step into the leadership role and they, there's no conversation around that. Yeah. Whereas as a female, you, you have to have the con conscious conversations with the people that are in, in your life. And, um, mm. and I think, you know, um, and you're a minority in the professional front, you know, so you have to be ready to forego other people's opinions um, because you will come up against judgment and bias, right? Um, and so it's just, it's really about backing yourself and stepping out, whatever that may be, you know, um, it doesn't mean you necessarily need to run your own business. It's in your community, you know, and it's really about being true to what you want to do and, and, and not living someone else's life. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, that's, what's most important as far as that's concerned. Mm. Karen, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to you. Um, I know you're usually the one connecting uh, speaker and audience and not often in the, in the speaker chair yourself, but you've just built such an incredible business that, you know, really brings so much value to people. Um, congratulations on navigating uh, last year, a tough year, and I'm sure there's an enormous amount of value to come. So I can't wait for the next milestone that takes you to the bottle shop at 9am in the morning to buy your <laughs> bottle of champagne. <laughs> Thank you so much, Melissa. It's been a pleasure. Hello there. If you're enjoying the podcast and would love to accelerate your own growth and leadership, then head to bravefeminineleadership.com forward slash brave tips for your gift from me, where I've captured all of the amazing tips and themes that came out of these conversations. I hope they help you feel your brave rising.